0: This episode of Where To Begin With will feature heavy spoilers of the movie Blade Runner from 1982. If you've never seen the movie before and you want to take part in this series by submitting a review for the film, then hit stop right now. Go away, check the movie out and come back with your review. If, however, you've seen the movie before or you just don't care, then continue listening on. Don't say you weren't warned.
1: There was an escape from the off-world colonies two weeks ago. Six replicants. I need you, Dex. I need the old Blade Runner. Replicants are like any other machine. They're either a benefit or a hazard. If they're a benefit, it's not my problem. I'm Rachel. Decker. They were designed to copy human beings in every way How can it not know what it is? Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. If only you could see what I've seen.
0: What seems to be the problem? I want
1: more life. Too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? More human than human is our motto. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe.
0: And welcome back to another episode of Where To Begin With. This is Season 3, Episode Number 10, This Season Finale. On Season 3, we've been looking at film noir and neo-noir, with up to this point nine movies selected by myself as great starting points, slightly off the beaten track examples and good old stone-cold classics to round out your knowledge of these genres. We are closing the series with a movie which almost transcends the genre of which it is now almost intrinsically linked. When we do these kind of future investigation movies, they are almost always with the noir bent. That just seems to be the way we've kind of turned the corner and... If not for this movie, immediate movies after this would not exist. It kind of really did make a stamp and not only the way we contextualize our visions of what the future may look like, but at the same time how we tell stories within that confine. Now, of course, it's Blade Runner from 1982 by director Ridley Scott. Now we're gonna get a little bit more into some of those conversations in a second but before we get to that let me tell you basically what happens after this episode drops because I want to hear from you guys I want your reviews of Blade Runner but they're going to appear in January so I'll give you the date to submit them through you'll submit through your reviews for that date and they will appear on the announcement episode in January for season four of where to begin with this is an important season because what this Show we'll be doing is merging together with a segment which was long running on my other show, the podcast under the stairs. We did a little movie club over there. The guys that submit reviews in that submit reviews here were also part of movie club, so we're consolidating it purely under this. And because we're doing that, the entirety of next year's season, that season four, will feature on a horror subgenre. So yeah, we're just giving you a heads up there. So you still can submit your review in for Blade Runner. I would love to hear it. It is, a, it is a movie where I think you fall down on either the side of this is, you know, borderline genius to this is boring and nothing happens. So i will be interesting to see where you guys, the dear listeners, land. Now, when talking about Blade Runner, it's kind of difficult to... Unpick the work it did and the the design the creation and the architecture of what the future looks like or certainly how we perceive what the future looks like the whole kind of cyberpunk um aesthetic and the the way that even japanese anime contextualize the future is in a lot of respects bore in this movie Uh, ridley scott the director had come off making alien a movie which, like, is arguably the d- definitive science fiction horror movie ever made, you know, in terms of, uh, of horror set in space. And uh, did it not only because he himself came from an advertising background, so he understood design, specifically conceptual design, the way that things have to feel real, believable, lived in, in order for the consumer or the viewer to buy into it, but also he essentially just transposed the, the kind of slasher format into space with an alien, which is an incredibly smart thing to do. It delivers all the beats and tropes in a manner that we expect them as the audience, but we are unsettled because rules no longer matter when you're dealing with something that isn't of our matter. So I think that's I think it's like incredibly smart and he would go on to take on board this work here. Now, it is loosely based, and we'll stress loosely based because the the script was adapted by Hampton Fancher, based on the Philip K. Dick novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? A lot of the changes here are grounding this into this kind of noir idea and setting, um, essentially, this uh, you know hammers all the tentpoles of all the stuff we've discussed in the previous nine movies. There's the grizzled retired cop who is brought back in because only he has the particular set of skills to to track down the, the villains. Um, it, you know, is is very much a kind of slow and methodical exercise in uncovering clues. Um, and tracking down the suspect and the further we weave into it, the more deceptions are revealed and um, ultimately, and depending on which version of the movie you watched, we're going to talk about that in a second, this movie has the the kind of tragic ending that you kind of want from a noir movie, one that we're accustomed to. Very few of the movies that we've seen thus far in our run through for you know, where to begin with season three on noir and near noir movies, have had happy endings. The police officers at the end of these, the private detectives, etc., are usually left worse than they started. Um, yeah, they may have done the good deed, they may have solved the case, but they may ultimately have been ground up in the machinery and spat out the other end. And, once again, depending on the version of Blade Runner you've watched, that that could be the, the ending for you. Now, before we talk about set design etc, and specifically Ridley Scott who, I mean, there's a lot of plus points to him being the director here, but time has maybe meant that there's some negatives attached as well. Uh, The movie has a a stellar cast, like a really, really, really great cast. Uh, Harrison Ford plays Deckard, our our detective, uh, and his his arch nemesis in this one is um, Batty, played by Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer is phenomenal. You could argue, and I would say that it is a safe argument, that this is actually a movie that is more about Batty than it is necessarily about Deckard. Um, that maybe puts it almost at odds with the genre in which it's telling its story. Um, just to be blunt, Batty's a far more interesting character. And Deckard, uh, this was seen as a kind of move for Harrison Ford to play something a bit more multifaceted, and at the same time... Allowing the scope for a bit more credible acting to that point, to 1982, uh, Harrison Ford was known as a big action star. You know, he'd already kind of worked his way through um, the Star Wars system. You know, we're going to get Indiana Jones movies for the next decade and uh, and whatnot. So he's already kind of established himself here. This allowed him to kind of almost flex a little bit. Of those chops, you have Sean Young who plays Rachel, a replicant in the movie. Edward James Olmos who plays Gaff, uh, a fellow um, Blade Runner. The the term given to police officers who track down replicants. And we'll quantify what a replicant is in a second. Uh, M. Emmett Walsh who plays Bryant, the the kind of chief of the 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 Blade Runners. You have of your replicants themselves. Like we mentioned before, we've got Rutger Howard as Batty. You have Daryl Hanna as Pris. Uh, Brian James as Leon. Um, and you have Joanna Cassidy as Zahora. Uh, you also have uh, James Hong as in here in a, a, in a great kind of blink and you'll miss him role. Uh, Joel Turkel, who is probably best known for being the bartender in The Shining. Um, William Sanderson is in here. He plays Sebastian, a great character. He's a great actor all round anyway. So, the reason that I, I'm kind of jumping a bit of place is that, to be honest we are like, on base level, this is a relatively straightforward movie. This is four criminals that are in the city that our grizzled detective who's trained to track down the criminals must track down within a certain time period and go he of course meets someone from the wrong side falls in love um, does he become compromised question mark uh, and ultimately heads to a final stare down with the arch villain that's the template that's what you have here but Ridley Scott and he's always kind of done this. I mean, if you, I know, like there was a lot of people kind of confused when movies like Prometheus or Covenant dropped in the Alien um, ongoing extended franchise. Uh Said you know he's he's, he's really maybe it's old age, but he seems to be asking a lot of questions about life, death, God, uh, meeting your maker, etc. I I would argue it's here in this movie. You know what I mean? It's here way back. And his second full-length feature. Blade Runner is that movie. Um, Batty is a replicant, basically commanding a group of replicants. You find out in the opening dialogue that what you have is a, a kind of future system um, set in the year 2019. Obviously, this movie set well, was made in 1981, 1982. So, you know, this is forward thinking to the future. But in 2019, these uh, artificial... Uh, beings called replicants have been created uh, for many different purposes but Batty is specifically a combat um, robot and these are the most advanced versions of them so they're very difficult to detect and on top of being very difficult to detect um, they have the ability to create a level of artificial intelligence that would allow them to feel and like become more human than human uh, which is a line from the movie and what you have is a a kind of feel safe that's been put in place by the Tyrell Corporation that builds replicants that they have a shelf life of four years and then they die and this is how they control them Uh, Batty's team are on the clock essentially desperate to um, get back to Earth because they're off world. And track down Tyrell to ask their creator, their god, to extend their life. And that's that's the that that's what we're playing with here in this movie. Now, let's talk about some of the goods and the bads. I fall into the camp that I unabashedly love Blade Runner, but I fully recognize it as a deeply flawed movie. Uh, Harrison Ford, whilst being allowed the opportunity to stretch his wings has quite a few questionable choices in this movie, depending on what version you've seen. You may have seen the original theatrical version where the studio got cold feet and felt that no one would understand the movie without some sort of grizzled P.I. sort of narration over the top, which uh, both Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford didn't want to do. And as a result, they kind of forced... Harrison Ford to do it, and if you believe legend and lore, he deliberately just seems so unenthused and, and and kind of low rent in his narration, because he felt that if he recorded it that way, they would never use it in the movie, which they duly did it, it doesn't fit the movie at all, it's very distracting, it doesn't add anything that as the audience you wouldn't have been able to pick out yourself, so it's like a very questionable, very confusing choice, so you have that on one level on top of that even if you remove that and you see uh, kind of later versions like the director's cut um the director's cut like Harrison Ford is still doing some bizarre performances and then you have the Ridley Scott issue Ridley Scott obviously was fascinated with the movie but over time decided more and more as time went on that there were things that he could improve on with time it's kind of the George Lucas effect And the Star Wars movies going back, changing things, like, who shot first, all these sort of things. Like, switching stuff up, which doesn't make sense, uh, like, at all. And there's a whole inclusion of a a kind of subplot here, where infamously he actually took an unshot sequence from uh, the movie Legend and, um, you know, swung it in to Blade Runner, a legend being made after Blade Runner, but a scene of a unicorn, which tied into origami figures being made, with the insinuation which he has since, once again, later confirmed that he believes that Deckard himself is a replicant, which I, I don't like that, if I'm honest. I think, it's, I, I think in a modern world, that is the sort of ending that directors really like, but it doesn't you almost recontextualizing the movie in a way which makes it unsatisfying, in my mind, anyway. So, he's poking around and changing things in the background. As a result, there's about four or five different cuts of the movie overall. The final cut being uh, released in 2007, 2008. And so, yeah, depending on what version you've seen, you've seen essentially the same movie, but with striking changes um, in terms of subplots or the way things are realised on the screen. We would be remiss if we didn't mention the Vangelis score in this one, which is absolutely incredible. Hand in hand with the movie, it just works on a a different level. Uh, Recently, I had the opportunity to um, review the movie Thief, uh, directed by Michael Mann, which came out a year before this and that's a tangerine dream score and in that review of that movie i stated and i would the same with blade runner that you remove the score from this movie and replace it with anything else it doesn't work and that's kind of what, what like it's one of those things where it's almost unimaginable to 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 think of a scenario where um vangelis doesn't score this movie it is fucking wonderful and works so so well, it just is a different level of score uh, and has become iconic uh, since. Um, overall, the cast, like I say, is great here. Um Hauer steals the, the show. Everyone is aware of the, the kind of final monologue, which, if you once again believe what was said, was partly improvised. The whole tears and rain um, line being, you know, just ad-libbed by uh, Rutger Herr himself. Uh, Daryl Hannah I mean this is early 80s so of course it's got Daryl she's suitably crazy and awesome and striking um, and then you know you've got Edward James Olmos who is uh, hasn't a great part in this one but you know an extended world you realise this guy is you know like a very keen and savvy operator within the Blade Runners. Uh, like I say, Harrison Ford for those parts good. Um, there is a there's a thing, and this is why I see the movie has some flaws here. He's not particularly a great detective. Out with managing to track down one replicant, all the other replicants manage to find him without him necessarily deciphering the clues to find them. Uh, his kind of point here is that he's a cynical shell of a, a of a human. That he takes humanity for granted. He drinks too much. Doesn't look after himself and like throws away what life he has which is a lot more than a character like Batty who has lived you know a hundred lifetimes in his four years and through his act of kindness at the end this is what makes this this is why I love the movie his act of kindness at the end actually reaffirms Deckard's appreciation for the the, the, the lifespan the life cycle the time that we have as humans on the planet um, that's why I don't like the Deckard as a replicant ending because that is for not if he's a he's a replicant it uses like once again Ridley Scott is great at building worlds that's what he's that he's almost better than any director the world that Blade Runner exists in feels real now I've, I've got the 4k uhd of this movie and i can't see you know like, i can't see the, the the breaks in the lines between the effects and what's happening it's all done practically using models and you know that, that sort of tech i'm sure they've airbrushed some some strings out here or there but for the most part what you see is just immaculate it's just the next level of world building every room feels kind of weird and kind of almost a a mesh of the old and the new but it feels grubby you get that feeling that you could run your finger over a surface bring it up and there's like you know two years worth of dust there it's just the way he builds it devices contraptions are never explained nor should they be this is the future and everyone just accepts them as their kind of weird quirky thing it's a long movie and there's no getting around that At about the two hour mark, depending on what cut you watched, um, it really does labour its point. In the world of noir, it's probably not that long, to be honest with you, but you would generally have more investigation, more twists and turns. I think Ridley Scott time gets lost in some of the the technology and architecture of where he's filming, so as a result of that, the movie really labours shots a bit more than it necessarily should i don't mind that it works for me but i understand once again if someone feels that it's a bit slow it really did transform the genres and both genres at that we are still now getting movies uh, one of the more recent ones being looper for example uh, by our buddy who went away rain johnson and did a little movie called brick which is also a futuristic neo-noir movie Uh, definitely influenced by blade runner in terms of the world that it builds Um, the technology etc and the the way it moves even a movie like the like not very good but marginally interesting Jude Law Justin Timberlake future kind of thriller like Repo Men is is also similar to this in that you know it's, it's kind of the noir stories you could argue to an extent Gattaca is a, a, a it's kind of almost a noir-esque story you know, set in the future based on a lot of the stuff that you have here in Blade Runner uh, the, the kind of science fiction world of something like Equilibrium which owes a lot to Matrix certainly owes a lot to Blade Runner as well so it's kind of future designing the way we're going to handle our, our, our kind of you know science fiction cities of the, the future of the earth and how whilst everything's fancy and technology's all out there this isn't minority report where we can physically detect crimes before they happen we still need the old gumshoe to go out there you know knock down uh, doors and uh, and shake people by the ankles to get answers it is a wonderful movie it really 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 is it's a, a hugely important movie if you Argue that, and I think it's fair to do that, that a movie like Chinatown reintroduces the ideas of of kind of noir movies to this kind of new neo-noir kind of future scape, but still is very traditional in its time period. Um, Blade Runner is the next step in that, just a few years later, in, in taking the, the concepts, the, the archetypes of the storytelling mechanism and pushing it to the future. So in that, it couldn't be any more important. So that is Blade Runner, ladies and gents. I'm super curious to hear what you guys made of this movie. As always, there there, there will be a, a a deadline date at the end of this conversation where I will let you know how you can do that and, uh, and what way you can get in touch with myself. Now, let's get on to your reviews though, because uh, that's where the important stuff starts to happen. So with that in mind, we want to hear from you guys out there who uh, checked out uh, Les Deleblique De La from uh, last month. And we're going to start with our first review, which comes in from our good buddy Tim Walker, who says, Dear Duncan and t Collected Collective People, Deleblique is an interesting choice. I had seen it before at least once, possibly twice. I don't really think of it as a noir, though. No big deal. I didn't think of Strangers on a Train as a noir either, but when you brought it up, Duncan... I think it can qualify, and maybe this one can too. I don't remember when I first heard of it. I know it had a remake in the mid-90s with Sharon Stone and Chaz Palmyriety. Whatever happened to him, he's a good actor. I do remember seeing it on the Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments, which I mentioned on my Night of the Hunter review. I don't remember if I heard about it, rented it, and then saw that show, or saw that show, and rented it as a result. It was a while ago, regardless. How long ago? Well, I rented it on VHS from Hollywood Video, which is long gone. By the way, everyone laments the loss of Blockbuster Video, but I say good riddance. They put the mom and pop stores that I had to good use out of business, just to have a store with terrible selections in its place. Hollywood Video was a little different though. They actually did have some good variety of titles. That's where I rented and saw movies like Le Débolique, Peeping Tom, Audition, and even some movies that were pretty damn obscure like The Witch Who Came From the Sea. Good luck finding that at Blockbuster. Anyway, I enjoyed this one on the first watch. I loved how well it was shot and acted, as well as the twists and turns. Of course, Débolique is a movie that hinges on its ending. That ending is where the movie goes from drama and thriller, and right into full-on horror. It's quite the showstopper. It also has, it also very, it's also a very influential thriller. In fact, I sometimes refer to a twisty thriller with a love triangle as a Dabolik-style di- thriller. I will say this on this watch though: the middle dragged a bit for me. The beginning was compelling enough, and the ending was epic, very much a showstopper. like I said. The middle though, not great. The movie is almost two hours long, I thought it could have been trimmed a little. I don't know, I just see that some of it dragged a bit for me on this watch. That brings the movie down a little for me of course, but not that much. It's still a really damn good movie, not just the ending. On a first watch, I would have given it 4 stars out of 5, and after this one, I'd give it a a 3.5 out of 5. So not nearly as high as a lot of people are on this one, and I hope that's not punishing the movie for the legions of movies that have been influenced by, or less charitably, ripped it off. Still, I dug it, and I can heartily recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. And for those who have not seen it, definitely go in as blind as possible. The ending works a lot better if it's not spoiled in any way. I had no idea it was coming on my first watch and it blew me away. Until then, I say to my teapots collected people, take care, stay safe and always check for a pulse. Oh, and also don't date or marry a world-class piece of shit. That helps. Tim Thanks very much to Tim for your review. Always great to hear from you, my friend. So let's uh, let's take this on to our second and final review of this episode, which of course comes in in an audio fashion from our good friend, Mr. David Garrett Jr. And David says...
1: Hello, Duncan and T-Putz Collective listeners. David Garrett Jr. here once again for where to begin with film noir and neo-noir films. As this time around, we are looking at Diabolique. So this is a movie that came onto my radar through filmmakers that I'm a fan of who cite this as an inspiration. It was one that was on, like, best of horror lists or just, like, best of movie lists. So it was one that I knew I would eventually check out, but, Duncan, kind of going against what you said, this is actually a first-time watch for me, and I'm very excited for it. So, I do have to thank you for, you know, selecting this so I could check it out, as I am now doing so, of course. And, without knowing outside of the title and that this was French, I came to this one fairly blind as to what we were going to get here. So, I can understand why this was selected to be on this show. Now, this isn't traditional in film noir, and I mean, I guess you could almost consider it to be a neo-noir, even though it's so early and actually coming out very close to the actual heyday of these movies. I guess kind of in the latter end of it, being that this is, I believe, from like 55, But I think that we have a great trio of characters. We have Nicole, who seems like a strong, independent woman. She is pushing Christina to be the same way. We see that even from the beginning, she is wavering on the plan to kill her husband. It isn't so much that she still loves him. That isn't the case. If anything, she loathes him. He is abusive and cheats on her. What is interesting is that she befriends his mistress. I could see this, though. They both have been wronged by him so they both want their own version of revenge i thought this would be more of a movie where we're kind of you know seeing that whole thing play out but this is just the setup so the real mystery here happens to michelle or Mikel. tensions rise as they try to get from the apartment back to the school with his dead body now they dump it in the pool From there, no one can seem to find him. This makes Christina believe that someone else knows what they did. The movie also makes you wonder if this is a haunted house film, or at least it did for me. A boy gets scolded by the principal, but no one else sees him. The staff believe this boy to be a liar. I almost get a gothic vibe from here, and I thought that was interesting, and I think a lot of it could be this mansion does have that old timey feel. It is the murder that got its hooks into me and then figuring out what was happening from there is what just kept me along for the ride. There are other things that make you wonder, is Mikkel dead and is his specter haunting the school or is there a logical explanation to everything? Now, I don't know if this would work as well if we didn't have good acting. The performance I want to start with would be with Vera Cloussot. She plays the woman who is at the end of their wits so well. This starts with hating her husband for how he treats her nicole also puts thoughts in her head we see that she isn't as strong-willed she is going along just to make her life better and it doesn't play out that way i love seeing the stress that she's going through trying to get through everything i thought this was well done and then we also have simone cigarette who is good as the rock of this duo she knows that she can get away with it if they keep their heads and just stick to the plan this works so well with how much of a villain that Paw mir Racy is, is—I might not be not pronouncing that correctly. He has a limited role, but I think he's good there. And I also thought that Charles Vanel was good as our police investigator. And then the rest of the cast is a solid group of characters that push everybody to where they end up. So now, where I want to go to end this review, then, would be the filmmaking aspects. This is a well-made movie. This goes without saying, I guess. I think the cinematography is amazing. The framing of shots is well done. There are great ones that use mirrors that I liked. And then going along with this, I thought the pacing was on point. It almost runs two hours, but I didn't feel like it. How the different parts of the mystery are built were great, I was thoroughly impressed there. Other than that, we don't get a lot in the way of effects, but it's also not a type of movie that we need them. I will say, though, that last scene that we get in the bathroom of the school was amazing. And that reveal there just kind of blew my socks off. Now, the soundtrack also fit for what was needed as well. So, in conclusion, I'm glad that I could finally take this one off my list. This is an interesting mystery that is based around a murder, but not in the traditional sense. We see who perpetrated it. What makes this different is that the body disappears and figuring out what is behind everything here. The acting here is great. That drives this movie. It's also well made. Cinematography looks great and it builds tension to an ending that I wasn't expecting. This is one that I'm excited to revisit now that I have watched it. And I would highly recommend this movie to anybody who might be listening to this and kind of wavering and everything like that. So Duncan, my rating here for Diabolique is going to be a 4.5 out of 5. And then Duncan I'm actually pretty excited that you selected Blade Runner as the last film for the series as another first time watch for me it's kind of interesting because I do love sci-fi and I've come around to these like neo-noir type films all the way back when I was in college but somehow had eluded not seeing this movie here so thanks once again also can't wait to hear everybody else's thoughts for Diabolique thank you so much for everything that you do this is David Garrett Jr and I am signing off and
0: thanks very much to David for submitting in his review And there you go, that's another season brought to a close. Now, the details of how you can get involved with your review of Blade Runner for submission on our introductory episode of season four of Where to Begin With in January 2023. The deadline date for you submitting in your reviews of Blade Runner is Friday the 13th. That's right, I said it, Friday the 13th of January. Get your reviews into to me for then and we will bring them in on the week beginning the 16th of January where we will announce what season four is looking at. It'll carry once again over 10 selected picks and will be a co- consolidation season between the podcast Under the Stairs Movie Club and the where to begin with proper so yeah, for the last time, what I need for you guys to do is in your Blade Runner reviews no later than Friday the 13th of January, 2023. Can I just say thank you very much to everyone who has supported Where To Begin With in this year, 2022. Looking at film noir and neo-noir, we are transposing back to something very horror next year. I don't think that's a word, but we're using it right now. And I look forward to bringing more content from this show, which is more fun the more interactive it gets. So I'm really looking forward to making more space and use of the Facebook group page, get more conversations going, more polls in there as well, and see how we work this out. All that is left for me to say is thank you very much for your support. I hope you all have a wonderful holiday, Christmas or whatever it is you do at the end of December and all the best to you and yours in 2023 when the bell drops for New Year. This is Duncan McLeish from Where To Begin With and I will speak to you next time.